Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. At the beginning of Parshish Pekudei, we have two very important and very well-known comments by Rashi, one following the other, one right after the other. The question that uh, I would like to discuss is how these two comments relate to each other. Do they have any real connection? Let's begin the Parsha. Eva Fukudei HaMishkan, these are, as Rashi is going to explain, the accountings of the Mishkan. Fikudei, lefaked can mean to count something. So Eva Fikudei HaMishkan, these are the countings or accountings of the Mishkan. Mishkan Ha'idus, the Mishkan of the testimony. Asher Pukad Alpi Moshe, that was accounted by the direction of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu conducted this uh, audit of the Mishkan. Avadas HaLeviyim, it uh, concerns the, uh, the Aveda, the service of the Leviyim, who were in charge of all of the uh, various materials for building the Mishkan. <clears throat> in the hands of Isamar, the son of Aaron, the Koyim. And what follows, after a, a brief mention of the two chief architects of the Mishkan, what follows is uh, psukim like Pasuk Chavdalit, which tell us exactly how much gold was contributed to the Mishkan. And then there's another Pasuk that tells us exactly how much silver and exactly how much copper and so on and so on through all of the different materials from which the, the Mishkan was built. Let's see Rashi. Eilif Ekudei, these are the countings. Rashi says, Beparsha Zoi, in this Parsha, Nimnu Kol Mishkalei Nidvasa Mishkan. They are counted. They are accounted for all of the weights of the things that were donated to the Mishkan, the weight and the number of each item. For silver, for gold, and for copper. And I assume Rashi means, and for other matters, other items as well, because they are all mentioned in this parsha. The Nimdo called Kalov, the Cholavidosai, and also all of the Kalim of the Mishkan, all of the various tools and objects of the Mishkan, the Mizveach and the, and the Oren and the, the Parochas and so on, they are all counted for all of its different services. So Rashi is saying that the purpose of this Parsha is to give us a full accounting of everything that was donated for the Mishkan and of how it was eventually used. Now, Rashi notes on Mishkan, Mishkan. It says the word Mishkan twice over here. It could have just said Eile Fekude on Mishkan, or, Eile, or it could have just said Eile Fekude Mishkan Ha'edus. These are the accountings of the Mishkan Ha'edus, et cetera, et cetera. So much gold, so much silver, and so on. But it says the word Mishkan twice. These are the accountings of the Mishkan. Which Mishkan? The Mishkan Ha'edus, the Mishkan of testimony, the Mishkan that held, well, Rashi has his own way of explaining what Edus means here. 
which is really not part of my topic in this Shia. But Rashi takes note of the fact that it says here, Hamishkan Mishkan. So Rashi says, Shnei Fa'amim, this is written two times. Remez, this is a hint, La Mikdash, to the base of Mikdash, Shinis Mashkin, the Shnei Churbanin, it was taken as a mashkin, it was taken as collateral in its two destructions, in the destruction of the first base of Mikdash and then later by the destruction of the second base of Mikdash because of the sins of Klaus. So in other words, as commentators explain, when the sins of Klaus unfortunately became unbearable to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when finally Yakodesh Baruch Hu said, "Enough is enough," and you don't, and uh, and I'm going to have to destroy your, really, what Yakodesh Baruch Hu wanted to do at a certain point, at two times in history, is really, he wanted to destroy Klal Yisrael, but Yakodesh Baruch Hu, in his mercy, said, "I won't take you. I'm not going to remove you from the world. I will remove the Beis Hamikdash from the world, as a, as a mashka, like a like a lender." If the borrower can't pay back the money, he doesn't uh, destroy the borrower. He takes a mashk and he takes his gold watch and he holds on to it until the debt can be paid. So similarly, when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, really, we were supposed to be the victims, Kla Yisrael, Kas V'Sholem. Baruch Hu instead took the Beis HaMikdash as a mashkan, since he did it two times. So it says here in the Pasuk, Mishkan, Mishkan. Okay, these are two very important Rashi's. The first one uh, gives us a general picture of what this whole parsha is about. And the second one is giving us this, this very, this very interest, interesting and important uh, insight into the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. The question that I'd like to discuss, and it's a, question, it's a question that is raised by many of the commentators is, why? is this remez about the Mishkan being a mashkan, why is it placed specifically in this Pasuk? The Mishkan has been mentioned many, many times already in the Torah by the time we get to this Pasuk. And in any of those places, it would seem, the Torah could have dropped a hint that the Mishkan someday will be taken as a mashkan, as collateral for our sins. But the Torah waits till this particular time where, where it's mentioning the Mishkan. And here it put, it says a Mishkan Mishkan uh, to tell us this idea of Mashkan. Why is this Remez specifically stated in this Pasuk? Gurarye gives an answer. The Gurarye says that we should take a look at a Pasuk and a Rashi in Parshas Kisisa. By the way, this is, uh, in my opinion, one of the very relevant and very important principles that we should always have in mind when we're learning Rashi is that if there's something that's hard to understand, we should look for other Rashi comments on similar topics and see if we can pick up some insight, pick up some information and be able to understand the first Rashi that we're having trouble with. It's certainly acceptable to go to the Gemara and it's certainly acceptable even to go to other commentators or to go to the Rambam but what would be better, what could possibly be better than going to Rashi himself and finding some relevant information? So here the, the Maral, the Guraya, uses this technique. He tells us we should go to Parshas Kisisa. 
When you will count the, the heads of B'nai Yisrael, when you will count the people, according to their numbers, how should you do it? Each person should give a koifer, should give a ransom payment for his soul to Hashem as you are counting them. In this way, there will not be any plague on them when you count them. What does this mean? So Rashi here says, Rashi and Parshas when you, whenever you will desire to receive the total of their number, whenever you will want to make a census of Klai Yisrael, to know how many they are, do not count them by skulls, meaning don't walk around and tap each person on the head, say one, two, three, and so on. Don't do that. Rather, each person should give a half a shekel, the simna and then you should count all the shkolim, the seidam in yonam, and then you'll know the number, but don't count them directly. Why not? So that there should not be a plague upon them. Rashi says, minion should wait by ayin hara, because minion, when you count something, ayin hara, the evil eye, has a certain control over it, and a plague will come upon them. And Maral says, he uses this Rashi as a, as a support to a general principle, which is said really in many places, that whenever something is counted, whenever, uh, whenever something is counted, that's a little doorway for Ayin Hara to get in. How that works exactly, I don't know. I'm not going to go into it. I have some idea. I'd rather not discuss what I am very fuzzy about. But anything that is counted, there's a certain possibility, sort of opens it up to ayin hara. So the, the Gurarya says that Eilif Hakudeh HaMishkan, these are the accountings of the Mishkan, and this Parsha, everything in the Mishkan was counted, that made the Mishkan a little bit susceptible to ayin hara. And when the Mishkan is a little bit susceptible to ayin hara, it is susceptible to being destroyed. I wouldn't say, this the Maral doesn't say, doesn't say expressly, I wouldn't say that the reason the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed is because of ayin hara. I would say ayin hara is sort of like a, uh, a uh, limited uh, immune system. What do they call it? Uh, immune deficient or immune, uh, I forget the exact term they use in medicine nowadays. It, but it means the, the, the immunity of the Vesemictish is weakened by iron hurrah. And then when we do all kinds of sins, then they're able to attack and they're able to bring down the Vesemictish. So that's the connection that the Guraya says between these two Rashis. Because there was a minion. Because the everything in the base of Mikdash was counted, so this opened up a door for Ayin Hara to come in. And when there's Ayin Hara, so then uh, that's how the base of Mikdash ended up being destroyed. That contributed to the destruction of the base of Mikdash two times. That two times it was taken as a mashkan because of our sins. 
Now, this is a little bit, uh, well, let me state what the problem is specifically. A little bit problematic. According to this explanation of the Goraye, the, the whole problem, the whole uh, root of the destruction of the Besamekdash is because the items which formed the Besamekdash and the materials with which the Mishkan, which is the prototype of the Besamekdash, the, the, the materials with which it was built were counted. Once you count something, it's in danger. Of course, the obvious question is, so why'd you count it? The Guraya doesn't answer that question. He doesn't ask it, he doesn't answer it. Probably the answer is a midrash, a well-known midrash, which we'll mention now, and we'll mention a few minutes later. There's a well-known midrash that there were people in Kla Yisrael who suspected that perhaps Moshe Rabbeinu was pocketing some of the precious items that were donated to build the base on Ektosh. And in order that there should be no suspicion of Moshe Rabbeinu, so Moshe Rabbeinu uh, made an accounting of everything that was brought to bring the base of Mikdash, to bring the to bring the Mikdash, to build the Mishkan. So, if we'll say that, however, we're left with a, a rather complicated mechanism. We have to say first, there was a suspicion that Moshe Rabbeinu might be pocketing some of the valuables. Therefore, there had to be an accounting of the everything that was donated to the Mishkan. And once you have an accounting, that opens the way to Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara in and of itself doesn't really cause the Horban Beis Hamikdash, but it contributes because there's an Ayin Hara. So there's a, there's a reduced, there's a compromised immunity. And then the Beis Hamikdash, it was possible that it could be destroyed. A little bit what we used to call in yeshiva drugstores for. Little of this, little of that, little of that chemical, a little, uh, a little aspirin, a little antibiotic. You throw it all together, you you get a drug which answers your problem, which cures your illness. It's not the best way to answer a question. Maybe sometimes that's the best you can do, but we look for better kinds of answers. And I think that there is a better answer, at least an answer that sits better with me. Maybe I'm not understanding the Goraya correctly, but I think there's another answer which gives us a different way of looking at this. The Maskil David also discusses this Midrash, and he quotes it as follows. He says, Chamu Kadle, people saw Moshe Rabbeinu's legs and his arms and his neck. And they saw that he's a well-built person, not a skinny little pushover. And so they said, they said, I mean, how did he get to be so big and strong? It must be he's, uh, he's uh, using the money that Klai Yisrael has uh, set aside for the Mishka. And then uh, somebody else said to his friend, that this person who was in charge of building the Mishkan, you don't have to ask why he's rich. Yeah, everybody knows why he's rich. If you had so much gold and silver going through your hands, it wouldn't a little bit stick and end up in your pockets. 
So there was this chashad, there was this suspicion of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was this Lashon Hara, that some people were talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to make an accounting of everything in the Mishkan. And says the Maskal Dadav, that is the same reason why, that is one of the major contributing factors to why the Vesa Mikdash was destroyed two times, to why it was twice taken as a mashkain because of our sins. Now, we are all very familiar with the Gemara in the Sechta Yuma, which says that the second Vesa Mikdash was destroyed because of Sinaschinam, because of baseless hatred, which goes right along with Lashon Hara. If you hate somebody, you talk about them. That everyone knows. But the Gemara in Mesech de Yuma also says that the first base of Mikdash was destroyed because, in part, people were disrespectful, disrespectful to their Nevi'im. They were disrespectful to the prophets who were sent to rebuke them. And because they spoke Lashon Hara. And Maskul David cites two Psukah. One of them is in Divra Hayyam in base, Perik Lamed Vav, Mishnah Tez Zayin. This Pusik is sort of looking back and uh, looking back and, 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 and summarizing what happened to the first base of Mikdash. Hashem, the God of their forefathers, he sent, Alehem, he sent to them, in the hands of his malachim, in the hands of his messengers, meaning he sent messages to Klai Yisrael through his Nevi'im, through the prophets. Hashkem v'shaloyach, literally waking up and sending, meaning every morning, another Navi, many, many Nevi'im and many, many times, they came and they said, Jews, either shape, ship up, shape up or ship out. The base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed. And why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu send us so many warnings? Because he had mercy on his nation and on his house, on the base of Mikdash. Really, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to destroy it. What was the reaction of the people when these Nevi'im came and rebuked them? By Yiyu Malidin, the Malachei Hu'elokim. They insulted the messengers of God. They insulted the Nevi'im. And they disparaged his words. Whether it means the words of Hashem or the words of each Navi comes out to be about the same meaning. And they would make fun of his words. They make fun of the words of the Nevi'im. Until the anger of Hashem lifted up upon his people, to the point that there was no refuah, there was no healing, there was no way to get around it, and the Beis HaMikdash had to be destroyed. So here we see that one of the sins that led to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash was a lack of respect for the prophets that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent to us. And now we have another Pasuk in Yechesk. Za'ak ve'helil ve'helil ben Adam. HaKadosh Baruch Hu here addresses Yecheskel, as he most often does, as Ben Adam, you son of man, you person. Why does a Kodesh Baruch Hu address Yecheskel in that way? I don't know. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. That's almost always how he addresses Yecheskel. Not other Nevi'im, but Yecheskel, Ben Adam. So he says to him, Za'ak 
yell and shout in, in distress. Because this that I'm going to mention, I'm going to explain in a moment, this was, this phenomenon was amongst my people. The Cholmesie Yisrael, amongst all of the leaders of Kla Yisrael. Migurei el Cherib Hayu Esami. We'll see in a moment how the Gemara translates, translates this word, Migurei, by the sword, they were with my people. Lochein Sveik el Yorech. Therefore, bang on your leg as a sign of warning. Now, the Gemara Mesech de Yuma, Daftesam et Bey says, this Migurei El Cherev refers to people who eat and drink together. And the Foshim say, Marashor says, Migurei is, is like the word Lagur, to live, to live with someone. So these are people who live together, they eat and drink together, they, they seem to be friendly with each other. But they stab each other with their tongues. They are Migurei. El they are people who live together like friends, but they use the sword, meaning their tongue, against each other. Meaning, speak a lot of Lush and Hora, one about the other. Each one disparages the other in front of his uh, in front of his so-called friends and ruins his reputation. So we see here that the Beis Hamikdash, not only the second Beis Hamikdash, but even the first Beis Hamikdash was in, destroyed in part because of this lack of respect for Nevi'im and this Lashon Hara, which is exactly the same reason why Moshe Rabbeinu had to make an accounting of everything that went into the Mishkan. So we have here a very simple mechanism, whereas according to the Gurari, it's kind of, you have to go around in circles and there's a lot of moving parts, but here it's very simple. The suspicion of Moshe Rabbeinu and the gossip about him was a direct cause for two things. It was a direct cause for Moshe Rabbeinu having to make a full accounting of everything that went into the Mishkan. And it was later, in later generations, it was a direct cause for the Mishkan to be destroyed two times in history. Two times the Mishkan had to be taken as a mashkan. I think this is a much easier um, explanation of the Rashi, much easier to swallow. Again, maybe we're, maybe I'm missing something in the Goraye, but certainly this explanation of Maskele David, I think gives us a very clear and, and simple picture of the connection between these two points that Rashi makes. I was thinking perhaps on my own of a third, a third approach. Rashi here says that the Besamekdash was destroyed. It was like taking a mashka. It's like when a, when a lender sees that the borrower can't pay, what does he do? He takes some collateral. Now, let's think about a malda and a loiva, a lender and a borrower. Let's say Ruven lent $1,000 to Shah. He told him pay back in 30 days. Reuben comes back in 30 days. Where's my money? Shimon says, I'm sorry, I don't have the money. So Reuben says, well, you know, I'm going to have to play a little tough now. Give me your gold watch as a mashka. So uh, let's give a different example. Give me something as a mashka. What do you have that's worth roughly $1,000? Shimon says, you know, I'm a very poor man. 
only thing I have is this old worn down car. Every time you, you it wheezes and it and it, it stalls and it, but still, uh, just as as uh, as junk, it's worth a roughly a thousand dollars. So Ruben says, "Give me, give it to me. That's the mashka. If you don't pay up eventually, I get to keep the car." And what would be if every time Ruben, the lender, looks at this old wheezing car, he looks at it. He turns it on once in a while, <laughs> makes funny noises, and he sees the springs popping up from the seat upholstery, and he sees the grime on the windshields, and he notices how the doors don't really close securely. Real junky car. So every time he looks at this junky car that is his mashka, he gets really annoyed at Shimon. What a what a bum this Shimon is. I gave him a thousand dollars. He doesn't have the decency to pay it back. And now look what he sticks me with. He sticks me with this old pile of junk. And Ruben, every time he looks at it, he gets angrier and angrier. And he's finally ready to go kill Shimon. I would say in such a case, uh, the mashkain did not serve its desired function. It could be according to halacha, that's a mashkain, because this pile of junk is worth roughly $1,000, the value of the loan. But it didn't work. I mean, if Ruben's gonna go kill Shimon, he's not gonna collect his money. In order for a mashkain to be effective, it has to be something that's gonna make the malva, that's gonna make the lender happy. He's gonna have to look at it and think, you know, it's not so bad if I lose the $1,000 that I lent to Shimon because if he disappears and I can never find him, or if he dies or something, I have his beautiful gold watch, which, first of all, maybe I would like to wear. And if not, I'm sure it would be quite easy to, uh, to sell it to the local jeweler, and I'll get my money very quickly, no problem. That's an effective mashka. Now, Kodesh Baruch Hu, when he became very upset with us, and he wanted to destroy Klai Yisrael. So he took a mashka. He took from us the Beis HaMikdash. He said, instead of taking you people out of the world, I'll take the Beis HaMikdash out of the world. Now, mashka in the Gemara says, the halacha is, balchayv kaine mashka. The, the balchayv, the, the lender, when he takes a mashka, it becomes his. Whether it's 100% his according to halacha or in some respects, says that's not the issue for now, but it's certainly, in, to some, to some degree, it becomes the property of the lender, even if he eventually is going to give it back. But it, in the time being, it becomes at least to some degree the property of the lender. So, Kodesh Baruch when we say Kodesh Baruch destroyed the Beis Hamikdash, that's only what we see. But it, but from a Kodesh Baruch standpoint, Kaviyachol. Kodesh Baruch Hu has the base of Mikdash. He's holding on to it like a mashka. Now, if every time a Kodesh Baruch Hu looks at the mashka, looks at the base of Mikdash that he sold them, and he says, this is horrible. I gave them this beautiful place in which to worship me, in which to serve me, which would be a conduit for all of my goodness to come down into the earth. And look what they did, look how they behaved to the point that I had to take it away from them. Urgh! If that is Kaviyoho, the feeling 
that the Beis Amikdash will give to Akkadish Borokul when he's holding it as a mashkin, that's an ineffective mashkin. That's not a good idea to have such a, not, not good for us, that Akkadish Borokul has such a mashkin. And I don't think Akkadish Borokul would take an ineffective mashkin. It must be every time Akkadish Borokul looks at that Beis Amikdash, he sees something very wonderful. Not only about the Besamekdash itself, but about us. And I think what he sees is the following. Yes, the Besamekdash had to be destroyed because of our actions. But what was in our hearts when we built it? A tremendous amount of good. Because Because in the Torah it is written the exact amount of gold and silver and copper and wood and fine fabrics and so on and so forth and dyes, it's all accounted for in the Torah. That's all nidvasa mishkan, as Rashi says over here. Mishkale nidvasa mishkan. The nidvasa lane that Klai Yisrael had, the good feeling that we had in our heart that we wanted to come closer to Akadosh Moroku, that was never destroyed. That Akadosh Moroku when he looks at the base of Mikdash that he's holding as a mashkin, that he can always remember. Look how much they loved me. Look how much they were willing to give up of their own property in order to build the base of Mikdash. So the mashkin, that is the base of Mikdash, makes the malva, that is the Kodesh Borachu, it makes him happy. He has something good, something that he appreciates, something that, that doesn't go away. That nidva salev doesn't, can't be destroyed. And therefore, the Besamikdash is a appropriate and effective mashkain for the Averais of Klai Yisrael. And ultimately, uh, speedily in our days, the Kodesh Baruch Hu will pay us back for that nidva salev that we had, that we contributed to the building of the Mishkan, and he will allow us once again to have the Besamikdash.